Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. To uh, what's called the Sight and Sound Theater, where they do big productions. Uh, Branson is basically like Las Vegas without the gambling, uh, and maybe part of the nightlife. But they do have big theater productions, and uh, they decided to put on a musical version of the Samson story from Judges 13 through 16. And uh, so we we took it in, we experienced it, and uh, you know, here's kind of as you enter in, you see Samson and uh, bulging pectoral muscles and all. And so, of course, you know, I had to have my go at it (laughs) there. Yeah, I didn't take my shirt off for it, though, so, you know. Uh, So when you go down to Branson, uh, as you pass through Springfield, Missouri, uh, just on the other side, there's a place, a restaurant called Lambert's. Some of you know Lambert's, the home of the throat rolls. Yeah, and so uh, they kind of, it's sort of like uh, Cracker Barrel, but on steroids. And they come out of the oven, or or the kitchen with hot, big, yeasty rolls. And if you kind of just raise your hand, they will throw one to you, toss it to you, and, you know, so there's rolls flying through the air and hitting the floor and they come around with molasses and you know serve it to you and so it's a lot of fun you should definitely uh, hit it out hit it up and I mean you'll leave just completely stuffed and like there's my plate you can see I've got food uh, and here's the uh, the exterior of the sight and sound theater it's just a massive theater and you know just uh, I don't know how many people holds but a lot um, and you go inside and there's some crummy pictures that I we tried to take of the kind of the set it's uh, pretty amazing because they've gotten only a front stage, but then each side, they've kind of turned those into stages. So there's kind of a front stage and then two side stages. So there's kind of action all around, just massive um, uh, sets and set designs. And there's Samson pulling a rope and you can see his long hair flowing in the back uh, there. So it was a ton of fun and in it, in part it made me realize that I, I have never preached on Samson before in my life. I don't know how I missed this story. It's a, uh, it's a pretty dramatic and entertaining story in many ways. Uh, I just have never really uh, done much study of it or preached on or really thought about it much. I've got to be quite honest with you. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is way too much I've written here. Uh, but I, I said, you know, what is Samson's story? I'm going to just, we're not going to read three chapters of Scripture, but you should go home and read it uh, on your own. But as a result of a kind of a miraculous birth, Samson was uh, devoted to the Nazarite vow. He ripped a lion apart with his bare hands and then told a riddle about it. He loved two women who betrayed him, but for very different reasons. He burned Philistine crops. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he visited a Philistine prostitute and carried off the city gates of Gaza on the same nights. He was blinded and enslaved by the Philistines and caused his own death by toppling the pillars of a local temple upon himself and his enemies. 
So it's, it's quite an exciting and action-packed story if you haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, and I uh, was kind of reminded of everything that went on. So it makes for a fun musical in some ways. Uh, but it's, it's one of those questions, you know, as we went there, I was thinking, you know, you could really make this a, a rated R kind of story. It's pretty violent. There's, you know, there's sex and there's violence and there's everything. So in Branson, though, everything is PG uh, or, or if not less than that. So they found a way to somehow make it family friendly. And uh, you know, a lot of things just kind of happened off, off set. You know, you just uh, get reports of things that have happened. But, you know, even as we were there at the Branson Theater, uh, they were looking for a lesson, looking for a message, some, something to pull out of it. Uh, and as I read through that story just quickly, uh, you could see it's, it's a dramatic and exciting story, but uh, it, it's, it's hard to see, okay, what would um, a lesson be from the story of Samson? What could you possibly get to apply to our everyday life or to inspire you or to take hope in? Um, and... Well, there could be a lot of things. I mean, this is the world's strongest man, uh, I guess. Um, The strongest man that I know about. He was a religious Nazarite. That is, he had a vow. He'd taken a vow to never cut his hair, to to not drink wine, um, and, you know, a couple other things. So he was, uh, maybe he was religious, uh, but he seems to also be a story about how he fails to be, to keep that vow, and that's his ultimate undoing. He's a very impulsive actor. He, he does things kind of on a whim. He falls in love with a Philistine girl and wants to marry her instantly. Uh, he gets just annoyed and uh, wants to go uh, set you know, fires to fields. He's a trickster. He, he uh, creates this riddle about the lion that he's killed and tries to trick people with it. And, and of course, he, he tricks Delilah in the haircutting scene you know, to kind of go back and forth about what is his, the source of his strength. And He's a quick-tempered and vengeful fighter. Um, he doesn't seem to show mercy to anyone or forgiveness. Uh, he's always cutting people down and uh, destroying them. He's driven by his sexual passions. Um, he's a judge and leader of Israel for 20 years. Nonetheless, after all this, he still is the, kind of the main one of the main leaders in Israel for 20 years. Um, so, anyways, that's all there. So, you know, we might look at these little items from his life and say, what is the lesson? I think part of the lesson here is just that uh, life is complex and the Bible is richly complex. It reflects that complexity. And I think we do ourselves a disservice sometimes when we uh, try to simplify the Bible, when we try to find easy applications or uh, simple uh, solutions or simply to be able to say, well, here's, here's the thing we need to get from this. Well, life is not like that. Life is complex. And people are mixed bags. They're a mixture of good and bad. And, and the Bible reflects that. So sometimes we just need to say, you know what? If the Bible says it's a complex story, we should let it be a complex story. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, I think we, part of our task on a Sunday morning is we try to proclaim and we try to interpret Scripture. We, we do try to apply it. We do try to say, what lesson can we get from this? What do we, what do we want to draw out of it this morning? And outside of Judges 13 through 16, Samson is mentioned only one other time in the Bible. And so I said, you know, I've never preached on Samson before. Maybe that's okay. He's only mentioned one other time. 
But can you guess where? That's what's surprising. It was surprising to me to find out where else he appears in the Bible beyond this story. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Verses, verse 32, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Samson then is one of the names singled out in what we refer to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you uh, have time later on this afternoon, go and look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's a long list of the heroes of the Bible, the heroes of the faith. And it's all the names that you would expect, and then a couple you wouldn't expect, like Samson. And we kind of scratch our heads and say, if I were to have, uh, if you think about Hall of Fames for basketball or football or uh, summer sport, it's because they did something remarkable. It's because of their record. But when we say, why was Samson in the Hall of Fame of Faith? What, what did he possibly do to merit showing up in this list? And as we look back, think back to that story I quickly read through and thought about, it didn't look on the surface that there was anything worthwhile. And then one highlight there was, well, he, he was a religious Nazarite. He, was, he had that Nazarite vow. But of course, the whole punchline of the story is that he didn't keep the vow. <laughs> that was his ultimate undoing. So even that, you might say, uh, there's nothing remarkable there. So we ask, you know, what... Where was his faith? What faith did he show? You know, we might start here, at least. If faith is our responsibility, if it's what we have to offer, it's what we do, then the other side of the coin is grace, is God's gift. I don't think you're going to find much faith in the life of Samson, in his story. If anything, you know, I come away from the life of Samson and see someone who is cynical, who's jaded in many ways, that, um, who doesn't take his responsibility seriously, that finds ways to avoid it and evade it. And yet, there's grace. There's God's gift on the other side of this thing. Uh, we might even uh, look to other points in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says... But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is Paul speaking about his own weakness, about his own infirmity, about his own lack. And the response that the Lord gives to Paul is, My grace is sufficient for you. That my power, Christ's power, is made strong in your weakness. And in 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So when we think about the strength of Samson, the strongest man in the world, what is it to God? It's weakness. And we think about the weakness of Samson. What is that to God? That's where the strength of God can appear. That's where the power of God can appear. That's where the grace and the freedom in Christ can appear. So in some, sometimes we need those contrasts. We need to see 
that the world's strongest man, even he, needs God's grace, needs God's love, needs God's strength. I don't know if you're like me, I always wanted to be muscular and athletic and never really was. Um, if I had those muscles, the whole world would be at my, at my feet. If I had that kind of strength, that kind of power, if I had that kind of anointing of the Lord, you know, what could I not do? But we see in the story of Samson, even he needs God's grace. Even he needs God's direction, God's power, God's guidance, uh, and God's peace. I feel that Samson was not a happy man. He was not a man at peace. The world can only give you so much. And even that is not, not even close to enough. In our weakness, he is made strong. In our sickness... We find wholeness in Christ. So if we had complete faith, we wouldn't need grace. But if we had to demonstrate enough faith to deserve grace, we'd all be lost. That's just the story here. There's no amount of faith that Samson could have demonstrated. There's no amount of strength that Samson could have demonstrated that he wouldn't need God's help. That he wouldn't need God's gift of love and peace and grace. So grace isn't the opposite of faith, but no matter how hard faith tries, it will no more touch grace on its own than the front side of the penny can reach around to the back side and touch it. No matter how much faith we try to exert, we'll never reach grace. Grace is God's free gift that comes around and, and touches us. That's what we need. I think that's, that was the hole in Samson's heart. And so as we think about our own lives today, the lack that we may have, the weakness we may be feeling, the uncertainty in life that we may be having right now, that's where we need to lay down, let go, and let God's grace and peace and forgiveness enter in and settle our souls. So I've thought about some lessons, but not all of them, this morning for you. And I wanted just to move through a couple of these. And of course, realizing that there are others to be added. And then others more on top of that. You know, what strikes me almost immediately is that biblical heroes are not perfect. This is a great example. And sometimes not even likable. Uh, in, in the children's Bible version of the Samson story, Samson seems like a great guy. But if you read the Bible itself, and really think about it for a minute, and even in the onstage production of Samson, he was a really likable guy. But if you read the Bible itself, I don't think you or I would have liked Samson very much. He was arrogant, he was a trickster, he was kind of a loner, he was a womanizer. He was all these things that probably would not have made him very nice. He, he knew how strong he was and liked to push his weight around. Uh, that's not the kind of person I really want to hang out with, I'm guessing. <laughs> not all the biblical heroes are likable. But you know what? Not all of us are likable either. <laughs> 
that's something we need to come to grips with. Sometimes we get the impression that being a Christian means I've got to be nice. If I'm, if I'm a Christian, then it means I'm a nice person. Uh, well, niceness is not a virtue. And it's never something that is a prerequisite for getting to heaven or having relationship with God or even making it into the Bible. You don't get points for being nice. But we hope and we pray that in God's grace and mercy we'll enter a crucible that will transform us into something that's not nice but something that's lovable. And something that gives love, that loves our neighbor as ourselves. That doesn't always mean you have to be a nice person. Uh, but it does mean that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Into something more than what we naturally are. A second lesson, I barely even need to say it. Actions have consequences, don't they? And even in the Bible that's true. Wouldn't Samson get a pass? He's in the hall of heroes of faith. No. Actions have consequences. Yes, there is grace. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is the mercy of God. But then there are also consequences. If you jump out of a third story window and pray for forgiveness on the way down... Uh, yes, God's forgiveness extends to you, but there's still consequences, namely gravity, of jumping out of a window. And those consequences will take effect and draw you quickly to the ground. So, I don't want to say if we have God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness that we'll never experience consequences for our acts. Uh, of course we will. And Samson is living testimony to that. At the end of the story, it costs Samson his life. Yes, there are things you... There's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. But there are things that you can do that will separate you from people that you love. That will separate you from your own life. You won't be separated from God, but you can be separated uh, from people you love. And even from your own health and your own life. No matter what you have done or left undone, God offers forgiveness and redemption. I think that's another piece of this story here. Is that uh, at the end of the story, we see that even though Samson had completely uh, fallen away, that he completely turned his back on the Lord and on his calling and on his mission, nonetheless, at the end of the story, God appears. And there's a beautiful line in the story after Samson's hair has been shorn off, after he's been, his eyes have been gouged out and he's been enslaved. There's a beautiful line there that says, and Samson's hair began to grow back. A way of letting us know that even though Samson had completely abandoned God, God had not abandoned him. No matter what we have done or left undone, there's always a chance in God's mercy. There's always a new start. I think about the sinner on the cross next to Jesus who reaches out to Jesus in his final moments of life and Jesus famously responds to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Although this man had no future, no hope, no, nothing he could do to rectify or change his life in any way whatsoever. Uh, nonetheless, 
God is always ready to open his arms to us. Christ is always ready to have us in paradise. Well, you could have guessed those lessons yourself, I'm thinking. But here's one more. Maybe you would guess this one too, but this is the one that really got me as I thought about it. That God has a plan for your life. And that even though God knows that you might fail, God would rather give you the opportunity than have you not try. I mean, if you think about it, surely God knew that Samson was going to be a complete and total failure. That he was going to misuse his strength. That he was going to uh, abandon his Nazarite vow. Why didn't God just wipe him out of the story? Why did God just not allow him to be? Well, if that's the case, then probably none of us should be here. <laughs> because we're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. And the beautiful thing here is that God would rather have us try and fail than not be at all. And when I think about my own gifts and talents and life calling and how maybe puny it is and miserable it is, still I think, you know what, God loves me enough to give me an opportunity to let me try, to even let me fail, because He loves me that much. You've often heard it said, you know, if you, you love someone, you'll, you'll let them go. And we often think about our, our children in this. If you, you love your kids, if you really love your kids, you should never let them out of the house. <laughs> Don't you know it's a dangerous world out there? Uh, as soon as they step into the road, they can get hit by another car. As soon as you let them meet another child, they might get bullied or made fun of. If you really loved your kid, you would put them in their room and lock the door and never let them out. But of course, that's not, that's not real love, is it? That's a love that's twisted and only wants control. Real love is opening that door. And, and there's guidance along the way, but at the end of that road, you're going to let them go. Let them be. Let them spread their wings. Let them live their life. That's the final gift a parent can give. And God's no different. Yes, if God really loved us, maybe He would chain us down and never let us sin. <laughs> but that's not real love. God's love is such that He opens that door. He lets us walk out on our own. And He lets us fail. And He loves us still. And like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he stands on the porch watching the horizon with arms open waiting for us to return. Lord, we are grateful for your love and your compassion for our lives. And we know that we have done nothing to merit it, to deserve it, to warrant it, to earn it. And the amazing thing is, dear Lord, that you give it to us anyways. And we realize, Lord, that if we were in charge, if we were God, we would never trust a human being with anything. But your love is so much greater, and your trust and your faith is so much 
more amazing that, Lord, you have entrusted us with the good news, with the mission of the kingdom of God. You, you've given us more responsibility than we possibly deserve and could ever earn. And even when we fail, you still go with us. And for that, dear Lord, we are humbled, repentant, and ultimately grateful. Be with us now, Lord, as we turn our hearts to worship you in gratitude and thankfulness. Amen.